be in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we're kicking off a brand new series today that I am very, very excited about. It is called Unhurried. All right? And I just, fair warning, I'm going to step on a lot of your toes in this series. Okay? (laughs) I'm with you, Earl. If you're watching online, he said, if I don't, I'm not doing my job. So challenge accepted. All right. But uh, I, I do. I just want to make that confession right off the bat, right at the onset of this series, because we've been writing this series out of out of honestly a a deep pastoral concern. So whether you're in the room here today or if you're watching online uh, if you're wondering, Pastor Jerome always sits in the back there with his table and he's got his laptop out, not because he's ignoring me working, <laughs> but because he's chatting with those of you watching online. And so we want you to be connected uh, to our pastoral team and uh, he would love to answer questions. Feel free to drop those in while we're talking. He, he would love to do that and interact with you in that way. Um, so feel free to do that. But we, we really do have a pastoral concern for this series. And, and honestly, I'm not exempt from it either. I'm not exempt from this hurry. In fact, I was doing just a little research and there's a study that said pastors are kind of the worst, right? Like we preach these things, and then we don't do these things, right? And so like we were right up there with lawyers. Like it was like, who's the worst people at being in a hurry? Lawyers? Yeah, yeah. Pastors? Ouch. Right? Like we were there. All right? It's like we're supposed to be the ones calling you to rest. Right? And so hurry. It's a pastoral concern because if we're honest, and I'm asking you to be honest today, many of us are simply in too much of a hurry to truly follow Jesus. Notice that I'm not saying we're too busy. That's not what I'm saying. There's things to do, people to serve, places to be. There's other scriptures that say things like, To those of us responsible for a family, if we don't take care of that need, then we're worse than an infidel, right? So we're not saying, right, Jesus literally tells us in his word, right, that we were created in Christ for good works. We are not anti-works here. We are, though, anti-hurry. And I want to explain the difference, but to kind of set this up, I just want to present that this has been a problem for a long time. If you've ever heard the name Corey Tenboom, uh, she's an amazing person. You should do some research. I don't have time to do all of that, but it'd be a great um, biography, autobiography uh, to read if you have time or just to do some research. But she's famous for saying this. She said, If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Think about that. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll just try to make you busy. Why? Because if we're distracted, we won't be on mission. Dallas Willard, who has passed away but is more recent, 
said this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the great spiritual enemy of following Jesus, of spiritual life in our day. Another uh, theologian, Ronald Rollheiser, says this. He, he basically accuses us of having a condition called pathological busyness. <laughs> what a great term. You should just latch onto that this week. I am a pathological busy person. You just declare that in the mirror every day and see if God doesn't work in your life. Holy Spirit, I need some help. Even more recent, John Ortberg wrote this, the great danger for many of us is not that we will renounce our faith. I think that's kind of where like, we hear about the nuns and research and all these things and all the people exiting the church in droves. We hear about, all, just think about this, the great danger for us is not really that we're going to renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I think he's right. And then maybe my favorite, one more quote. I'm just nerding out on you for a minute. Then a, a book I read even more recently, written by a guy named John Mark Comer, made this statement on a podcast uh, about a book that he wrote. But he said this on a podcast, and, and I think it might be the most helpful way for us to think about this idea of hurry. He said, all of us, follow me, all of us have a center point. For very few of us, that center point is God. Our center point is career, entertainment, sexuality, marriage, kids, athletics. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is just a hobby in our spare time that we really enjoy, but we just don't have the time we wish we did for him. I mean, if that's not a commentary on the temptation of our culture, I don't know what is. That we would be so preoccupied that Jesus would just be a hobby that we have in our spare time. Because here's the reality. The hour that you spend here on Sunday, and if you're super spiritual, the hour and a half that you give us for a city group... <laughs> That's not going to cut it. That, that, is not, that is not a relationship with Jesus. Those two things are the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus said it this way in John 15. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So there's things that flourish out of that, but they aren't that. So I believe really the biggest issue that many of us face as 21st century followers of Jesus is that question. And this is why I asked you for honesty this morning. What is your center? And don't give me the obligatory Jesus, right? Like the Sunday school answer works here. It's like Jesus. <laughs> but listen, it doesn't, it doesn't help any of us myself included, to 
not be honest in our heart at a soul level with the Holy Spirit on this particular issue. What is your center? What is, another way to maybe think about that is, what is, what is your life built around? What is your life built around? What is the thing that never gets missed? What's the thing that, that, that ball, that ball never drops. That ball never gets fumbled. What is your life built on? One of the goals I have in this next season of ministry here at Redeemer City Church is that when you walk into one of our gatherings, whether it be here on a Sunday or whether it be in a home in City Group or wherever you find yourself gathered as Redeemer City Church, the people of God, that you would find an oasis, a refuge for your soul, that when you walk into this place, it wouldn't be like any other place that you walk into in your life. That the pace at which we move would be a stark contrast to the rest of your life. In short, as scripture says, that you might find rest for your soul. Not for your body. That's different. That when you come into this place, you would find rest for your soul. There's a difference. And so it's not surprising to me at all that Jesus, when he walked on this earth, had the same concern. He had the same concern that we're talking about today when he walked on earth. Here's what he taught us in Luke chapter 21. So if you want to turn there, otherwise it will be on the screen for you. In Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 29, here's what Jesus said. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves, and you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, so world events, what's happening in your life, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Okay, so that's his thesis right there. The kingdom of God is near. I heard somebody say one time, the kingdom of God is nearer than your next breath. I love that way of thinking about it because it's not some destination. It's not, it's not out there like it's near, right? Because Jesus told us to pray that your kingdom would come right here on earth as it is in heaven through the church. So, so it's, it is here. It's near. And so he's saying that, but listen to what he says next in verse 32. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Why do we make such a big deal about the word here? That's why. It's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that has lasted through the centuries without changing, without shifting And then here we go, verse 34. Be careful. How do you know when when the God of the universe tells you to be careful, you should probably be careful? Yeah? It says, be careful, listen, or your hearts will be weighed down. A weight on your heart. Think about that specifically. We know what that feels like to, to to have a heaviness on your life. 
Or if you're not careful, paying attention to the kingdom, your heart will be weighed down with what? This is so important. It'll be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness. Don't get, don't get hung up just on those two words. What is he saying? With, the, with entertaining yourself to death is what he's saying. That, that you would have so much time for everything else in the world that you would weigh your heart down to its death. And then this. You'd be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And the anxieties of life. And that day, when the kingdom comes in all of its glory, when Jesus comes in all of its glory, will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. You know, the beauty of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is who he is, that he went to the cross to create a way for you to be right with God that he came to you and didn't expect you to come to him like every other religion. The beauty of that, we, we only know that that's so beautiful because there is this other side. That God is holy, that he is just, that he can't be in the presence of sin. And so he solved that problem, but there are so many who will not turn to Jesus. And so there, there is this that's happening because look at what he says, verse 36, that everybody's going to have this, verse 35, verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape. These are specific terms. Watch out, pray, escape all that is about to happen. Why? Why is that so important? Here, let me tell you why. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. What gives you confidence to stand before a holy God when you are not a holy person? And if, like, listen, I understand that today, like, everybody's supposed to be great. <laughs> I get it. I've had kids in sports, and they give you a trophy when you don't do anything, and all the things, and it's really frustrating. We're like, you lost. I don't know why you had a trophy. You lost. <laughs> right? Like, you, you lost. <laughs> like, have a hard time with that. But I got a cool thing. Yeah, but you you lost. <laughs> you know, but it's okay. We we're going to celebrate it anyway. Right? And that's just... But there is a time coming when Jesus will make all things right. When he'll make all things new. And along with that is... Writing, bringing justice to what is wrong. And so part of that is the reality that we're wrong. That we are sinful people. And it would not take but five seconds to go through a few examples of what's wrong and broken in our world. But the beauty is that Jesus didn't leave us there, that he came. And this is the gospel that we preach every week. And so, but, I, but I do want you to know that, that it is a matter of confessing him as Lord. When we say what is the center of your life, that the confession that Jesus asks for from you 
The life that he offers to you is one that you lay down first, where you confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's out of that that you begin to abide in him and he in you, and he will cause you to bear much fruit. In short, he will cause your life to flourish. But make no mistake that the gateway into this, right, like these three categories of Satan's lies here, the carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life are in fact that. They are lies that Satan will tell you over and over and over. And perhaps the easiest way for him to do it is through those anxieties of life, through the busyness, the hurry that is life. That we might get so distracted that we miss it. That we miss it. I, I just tell you, like, there's, there's little things that are quite as dangerous as that. I think Corey Tenboom was spot on how many years ago. Could she have even imagined how hurried we would be right now when she wrote that? That if the devil can't make us sin, he'll just make us busy. Wow. And so this is important for us to consider because think about it with me. Satan, we have this theory in our heads sometimes that he's going to show up like Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live, right? With horns and a pitchfork and an electric guitar and he's going to sing crazy songs and it'll be really funny. Like, he won't be funny, but we kind of think like, if Satan shows up, like, I'm going to know it. (laughs) If demons come, I'm going to know it. And sometimes that's very obvious. But sometimes it just comes in the form of distraction. Because think about it, if, if, if he doesn't announce his arrival and he shows up in distraction and slowly walks you away from your values of where you want to be as a follower of Jesus, that in time you suddenly turn around, you wake up and you recognize that you're nowhere near where you thought you wanted to be. Because life just keeps on happening and if we don't hold an anchor, right, to use biblical language, if there's not an anchor for your soul, you will drift. What's the crazy thing about drifting? For those of you who have ever been on a boat, you drop the anchor and you, you have a little bit of lead, right? And so you drop that anchor and then you start to drift, but you can't feel it until what? You don't know you're drifting until it stops you, right? And so you need an anchor for your Soul. And so Jesus warns us here, right? He says, be careful. Why so careful? Because the anxieties and entertainment of this life will add so much weight to your soul that you'll quite suddenly fall into a trap that you never saw coming. Here's what I think part of the problem is, though. Many of us have already been caught in the trap and we're just okay with it. Can I... Can I I told you I was going to step on your toes. That's like level two of the problem. And I'll just be real with you. Like there are days when I, when I think that that's probably true for more of us than we would wish to admit. Myself included. Now we know the traps there. We know the practices we're supposed to have to get out of that and to recenter our life. But a lot of days, we're just okay with that. 
It's kind of like what C.S. Lewis said. We just we settle for something so much less than what God offered. We're willing to settle for so much less than what God offers us. And so Jesus is telling us to be careful because that day is coming where we will stand before the Son of Man. Now praise be to God that when you stand before the Son of Man, if you have confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, you will simply arrive at that place and say, Jesus, you are my Savior. I have been clothed in your righteousness. That, what, a, what an amazing thing. But in light of that, it seems to me that if that is coming and it is true, it seems to me that it is a terrible option and a terrible way to live your life to simply be spiritually indifferent. Spiritual indifference might be one of the greatest thieves of joy in your life. One of the greatest. So what's the solution? Jesus gives it to us, and it's very simple. What does he tell us? He tells us to do two things in verse 36. He says, watch and pray. You thought I was going to give you some crazy solution to the problem, but no, no. It's, it's what it's always been, isn't it? Watch and pray. Prayer is the secret sauce of your walk with Jesus. Just like Thousand Island is on every Big Mac and it just tastes awesome. I know some of you are like health and wellness people. I'm looking at you, Anthony. All right. Don't judge me. Every now and then. Every now and then. Very infrequent, I promise. You just need a Big Mac and a Coke. Can I get an amen in the church today? (laughs) Five of you are with me. The rest of you are like judging me on the inside. I can feel the oppression. (laughs) No, Jesus said, watch and pray, right? Like, like, I think I shared with you a few weeks ago, I was reading in another book, and the author said one of the greatest benefits of social media when we stand before the Lord, will that it will be revealed that we had plenty of time to pray and we chose not to. Let's go. If you're not convicted, you are now. But I do want to return back to the problem is not that we have a lot to do. I want to make sure we're on the same page there. If, if that was true, then Jesus would have been in the wrong, and we know that Jesus is not in the wrong. Jesus was always on mission. He was always moving from space to space with great intentionality. But he also showed up late to Lazarus' tomb, didn't he? To the point where the people waiting for him were like, where were you? If you would have just come a little bit earlier, he wouldn't be dead. And Jesus, I would have loved to be there. And he goes, Lazarus isn't dead. He's just sleeping. And you're like, pretty sure that smell, unless you're a middle school boy, is not coming out of there without it. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth, right? Because God's in the business of bringing dead things to life. And he'll do that in your life, but it has to die first, doesn't it? It has to die first, and that is the single greatest 
decision, the hardest decision that we face on a daily basis. That I will die so that he can live in me. Right? That I, that I would adore, fall in love with Jesus. That I would adore Jesus so much that I would trust him enough to surrender my life. That it might die so that he could live. How did John the Baptist get to that place where he said, here comes the Lamb of the, the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. You don't just arrive at that in your flesh. <laughs> right? It's, it's what's the center? Because here's, here's what I think. If you, if you flesh that out and you keep bringing that down like, and you think about the value of Christianity, what's the single greatest value in Christianity? Starts with an L, ends with an E. Love, right? I, don't, I think all of us would agree on that. Why? Because Jesus said this, and it's, it's painfully time-consuming. Here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And they said, and love your neighbor like who? Like yourself. Hurry and love are incompatible because that kind of love and relationship is painfully time-consuming. Painfully time-consuming. To give up one night of your week to go be with God's people. To get your kids out of bed on Sunday morning and show up for church. Painfully time-consuming. It takes an eternity to get your children out of the house. Some of you have that to look forward to. There's a lot to do in love, loving the way that is described right there. That, there's a lifetime of work in love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Lifetime of work. Lifetime of spiritual formation. Lifetime of God's transformation in your life. It'll take your whole life to do that. And then, he, then for eternity, you'll do the same thing. But none of that important work can be done in a hurry. It can only be done in relationships that last a lifetime. You can't speed up loving somebody for a lifetime. Think about that. You cannot speed up loving God and loving your neighbor for a lifetime. And that is the greatest good that he calls you to. Hurry and love are incompatible. And there, there's, a, there's a lot more to say, and we're going to spend the next four weeks saying those things. But in this moment, I want to invite the band back up, and I just want them to play behind us for a little while. And I want to invite you to take this moment to watch... And to pray. Watching as in watching for signs in your life that you're so much in a hurry that you have no room for love. Watching. Praying for others and praying for patience and praying for wisdom and just sitting and listening for the Spirit's voice in your life. And so they're going to make some music behind us. And I just want to take a few minutes to create the space, right? Because if, if we won't create the space here, what are the chances that you'll go and create the space out there? And so we want to do it together and begin to build those muscles, those habits 
those spiritual practices that will form us into the people of God. But it, in my opinion, begins in this place where we begin to ask ourselves, what is the center of my life? So I do, I just want to invite you to close your eyes or if you need to come down, we have kneeling pads here. And if you'd like to pray with somebody, I know I'm available. Other elders are in the room. Two of them are bald, so you can just find them. <laughs> it's even CR's birthday today, so you can get a special blessing on his birthday. <laughs> but uh, let's just take a moment and let's just slow down. Create a few minutes of space for us to be in the presence of God and to practice what we preach. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna step down just for a couple minutes while they play. Josh might sing behind us or quietly over us to aid in that moment for you. But I don't think that there's a more important decision that you can make right now as a follower of Jesus in this in this world, but to ask yourself, what's my center and what's my pace? What's my center and what's my pace? And see if they're congruent with love. Let's just take a couple minutes and pray. If you need to pray with someone.